Welcome to the Maternal and Child Health Podcast, where we discuss maternal and child health topics and provide strategies for improving the health of Navajo families. I'm your host, Amber Rose Waters, Hushkana Zohe Nishle, Tekchitni Bashishchin, Tabaha Dashache, Nakaidene Dashanele, Natanines Dant Nasha. I'm originally from Shabrak, New Mexico, where I live and work at Danette College as a project coordinator of the Danette College Navajo Maternal and Child Health Project. I'm a Navajo woman and mother of two. Thank you for joining us today to learn more about maternal and child health on the Navajo Nation. Today, I, along with my guest, Mary Degnan from Tuba City Regional Healthcare Center, will be discussing the topic of nutrition and gestational diabetes. Let's define gestational diabetes before we start. Gestational diabetes happens only during pregnancy. This can happen because there's not enough insulin in the body, which can make it harder for your body to process blood sugar for energy, instead causing it to rise. This affects the mother and baby's health. There's also type 2 diabetes, which happens when your body doesn't use insulin properly, but the difference is that type 2 doesn't happen during pregnancy. Thank you for joining us today, Mary. Can you introduce yourself? My name is Mary Degnan. I'm the Director of Healthy Living Diabetes Education Clinical Nutrition. Uh, before I took over as Director, I was the Diabetes and Pregnancy Case Manager here at Cuba City Regional. I've held that position for five years. I came from Buffalo, New York to Cuba City, and I didn't really know that much about diabetes and pregnancy, and I didn't realize that this would be my passion as it has for the past five years. So I'm very honored to take part in this program with you guys. Awesome. Thank you. And can you tell us what kind of information do you share with women who come to you who have gestational diabetes? How do you work with them on that? Well, the way we work here is I'm actually um, embedded in the women's health clinic. So we work very closely with the provider. So any woman that is diagnosed with gestational diabetes or pre-existing diabetes when they're first um, pregnant, we kind of work as a team here. Education-wise, what I usually do is notify the mom of the gestational diabetes by phone and explain to them what gestational diabetes really is. What we found is that moms hear the word diabetes and why they're pregnant and it kind of throws them into a panic. So explaining what gestational diabetes is, that it's not their fault, it's just the normal changes of pregnancy hormones. And then we set up an appointment with me to meet one-on-one -on -one to do our initial education. We talk about their diet, exercise, coping mechanisms, and also how to do a meter teach and do home teaching, you know, home glucose teaching. Here in Navajo Nation, and mostly in the Western Navajo region, we follow something called the Sweet Success Program. I don't know if anyone else has been familiar with that, but we found that that program has given us a lot of guidance and a great number of resources and educational materials for moms. Awesome. So is that, I guess, available online or throughout NEHS across Navajo? Well, actually, the Sweet Success information and resources that I use are free on the Sweet Success Express website. And I believe it's sweetsuccessexpress.com 
but I can verify that also what that link is to. But there's a lot of great resources. One of the resources that I use is a booklet called Gestational Diabetes, and it's found on that website. Mm -hmm. That packet covers everything from what gestational diabetes is, the complications of gestational diabetes and the effects on baby, also some of the risk factors that may precipitate gestational diabetes, along with you know a meal plan to follow, going mm-hmm. over things food to avoid, portion sizing of your carbohydrate foods, label reading, and it gives a, a nice breakdown of a meal plan also. So focusing in on limiting your carbohydrates to one carbohydrate serving at breakfast time because blood sugars are just naturally higher first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then kind of incorporating the, we call it a consistent carbohydrate meal plan for the rest of the day. So one carb and one protein for your snack, three carbohydrate servings for lunch and dinner, and most importantly, taking a bedtime snack of a carbohydrate and a protein. When I tell moms to have a bedtime snack, they usually like, Hmm, but if I eat something at night, my blood sugar is going to be high in the morning, right? I'm like, so I explained the whole physiology of, you know, how our body works overnight and what happens when our blood sugar starts to go down, that we release more glucose into our system. So the bedtime snack helps. It takes a little convincing, but, you know, once they try it, they see that it helps with their, their morning blood sugars. Okay, great. So how is a, a woman diagnosed with gestational diabetes? When you're diagnosed with gestational diabetes, it's here with Tuba City. Um, we might do it a little differently throughout across Navajo, but at Tuba City, we do a prenatal A1C. So you come in for your pregnancy test, we do an A1C. And if, if your A1C is greater than 5.7, we ask to do an early two-hour glucose test. So we do the one-step glucose test. And if that's cleared and it doesn't come back with any of the abnormal values, then, you know, we'll progress and monitor you. And then at 28 weeks, we have you do another two hours of post test. And I think that's traditionally how most women are diagnosed is at 28. So we'll do the two of our glucose test. And if one of those values is elevated, you'll get a phone call from me and we set up the appointment. And I know you mentioned that one thing that you make clear with pregnant women that have gestational diabetes is that it's not their fault. What other ways can they manage their gestational diabetes, either, you know, food-wise or through physical activity? What kind of advice do you share with them or education? Besides nutrition and exercise, I also talk about stress management. And a lot of the times our women are very stressed. There's a lot of, you know, psychosocial, economic issues. Sometimes they they don't have a safe home environment or, you know, there's a lot of other factors. So it's how to manage stress, how to look at things in a holistic, positive moment. This is, you know, I'm making these sacrifices and these changes for my baby. We look at it in a positive way. You know, it's not like, okay, you're gestational, all right, this is what's happening. We want to work on how do we link them with services that they need. If they need food, you know, food food services, housing is also a, a challenge. You know, I think it's cost novel too. What do we have ways to help them get, you know, adequate housing? 
Transportation is another stressful issue our, our moms face too. Is how do we get them to our appointment, you know, and how do we manage and help them out that way? Okay. Thank you. So can you talk a little bit about how gestational diabetes might affect the baby's health outcomes? Well, what happens with gestational diabetes is mom's blood sugar is elevated because their pancreas is not releasing enough insulin. So that blood sugar does pass through the placenta to the baby, or I should say through the umbilical cord to the baby, and baby gets all the nutrients and the glucose also. So what can happen with baby is it has its own, I explained to moms that it has its own little baby pancreas, which pulls out its own insulin. And insulin is a storage hormone. So that extra sugar gets stored as fat in the baby's abdomen. So we can have what we call large for gestational size babies. Or what I explained too is babies grow a little bit bigger. Um, they're harder to deliver. And I always kind of jokingly say, you know, nobody wants to push out a 9, 10-pound turkey, right? So, and we explain it that way. We also go through some of the other complications of neonatal hypoglycemia. So when mom delivers baby and the cord's cut, that baby's source of sugar is gone and only has its own insulin left in the bloodstream. So that can cause low blood sugars for baby, which is scary, you know, for a mom because, you know, if they're asymptomatic with low blood sugars, we have to do heel sticks every hour. They might need glucose gel. It might delay breastfeeding, or they might actually need IV dextrose also. So just kind of warning them and giving that these are some of the other complications. Also warning them about the um, risk for jaundice with, me, with babies also. Okay. Are there any vitamins or minerals that these women should be aware of during their pregnancy that they should be taking? In addition to physical activity and nutrition? Yes. Folic acid, definitely number one, and especially as early in pregnancy as possible. They need that. They need the folic acid for the, you know, to avoid spina bifida. And of course, iron. Iron is always important to take during pregnancy also because of the increased blood volume and the turnover red blood cells. Anemia in pregnancy is common. So to eat, you know, taking an iron supplement or iron-rich foods, also taking vitamin C with that iron tablet also helps increase the iron absorption. Calcium, you know, we need strong bones because baby is actually leaching the calcium and phosphorus from mom. So we need to make sure that we're taking in enough vitamin D and calcium also. But they're taking their whole prenatal vitamin. It will include all of those vitamins and minerals as well. Awesome. Yeah, we encourage definitely you know, how women should be taking folic acid, whether they're pregnant or not. And um, definitely I've experienced iron deficiency. When I was pregnant, my mom made me drink a cup of milk (laughs) every day when I was pregnant. So (laughs) what about oral health care? Do you talk about oral health care to any of your clients or mothers? Yes, especially our um patients that are diabetic or pre, pre-existing diabetics. I always encourage them to practice good oral care. We, give, we actually do give out um, dental kits. <laughs> oh. So we give them little handles for toothbrush, you know, how to brush your teeth correctly. And, you know, because oral care is so important, you know, and it teaches good habits to not only mom, but, you know, encourage it for kids too. Mm-hmm. Awesome. 
Yeah, that was one of our projects. We actually gave out oral health kits to mothers and their children with this project. So I hope we can can continue that because that is such a, that is actually a priority that we found in our, the Navajo MCH needs assessment, just to improve oral health care for children and mothers who are pregnant or lactating. You know, we've, we actually found through our diabetes audit that our dental referrals or our, our patients actually completing dental exams was rather on the low side. So that's one of our initiatives for our diabetes program, you know, to encourage oral health. We, we've got, we're ordering, you know, electric toothbrushes. They're battery operated so that people who don't have electricity can still have the, you know, added value of an electric toothbrush too. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So. I know you talked already about like portion size and meal plans and foods to avoid, but can you list maybe some of the the foods to avoid? As a diabetes educator, my philosophy is all foods fit except during pregnancy. So during pregnancy, I ask them to avoid any type of liquid sugar. So sugary beverages, period, at least until they deliver. Avoiding, you know, anything that a concentrated sweet. It doesn't mean that they can't celebrate, you know, because, you know, there's birthday parties, you know, there's looking up ceremonies. There's a lot of things, but incorporating that into your meal plan. But mostly I say, you know, just say no <laughs> to the sugary beverages. <laughs> and what about portion sizes? What do you recommend when it comes to portion sizes? Well, with their sweet success little gestational booklet that we hand out, I give them a whole, actually a folder of not only explaining what gestational is, but talking about meal planning, food, using a plate method. We teach here with measuring cups. Moms usually get a a set of measuring cups after their first visit. So we show them what the portion sizes are. So looking at common foods here that we we see with our moms are, are rice pasta, you know, beans, a lot of the traditional foods too, but they're more cost effective. So with carbohydrates like rice and pasta, it's a third of a cup. So when I show moms a third of a cup, I kind of get the, oh, that's it. So when I explain to them that that is a serving size, so you get three servings at your lunch or dinner meal. So when I show them one third plus one third equals one whole cup, so then it's like, oh, okay, I can do that. So talking about listing all their portion sizes in that, also a half a cup of potatoes. And I do always encourage potatoes, especially with the skins on, because the skin has a lot of fiber and iron too. So it's a very iron-rich food. So when I get the, I can eat a potato? Yeah. (laughs) Half a cup, you know, it's like, no, they're not enemies. But a half a cup of potatoes, a half a cup of beans, chili beans, and that too. So we talk about portioning. And I give them examples. And in that booklet, it shows them actually lists out serving sizes, your starches, and grains, your milk, and your fruit also. Oh, that's one other thing. I tell them no juice. Just stay away from juice. Eat your fruit. Don't drink it. Yeah. <laughs> so what are the best foods that you can list that are good? Well, the best foods, I guess that's a, that's a challenging question because what a best food for me is might not be a best food for my patient. It's like I have to meet the patient where they are. So what type of a meals do you usually traditionally have? You know, sometimes if they have, you know, four or five younger kids, you know, it's hard to, you know, have, you know, your dollars stretch for, you know, eating healthy. So I look, I kind of um, explain to them, let's see, okay, let's look at what your budget is and what good foods can we eat and what can we swap out for? 
So I try not to say, this is what I expect you to eat, but what can we plan on? How can we work with what you have? Mm-hmm. But always encouraging fruits and vegetables, whether they're fresh, frozen, or canned. A vegetable is a vegetable. So if I can get you to eat a green bean, you know, and it's canned, it's a green. It's still that kind of meeting where they are. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's great. That's always best to do when you're working with people is to meet them where they are, especially when it comes to like healthcare and some of the challenges that we faced on on the Navajo Nation. That's great. That's a good approach. So what happens once a mother gives birth? So do they have gestational diabetes still? Is that something they still have to, I guess, monitor their nutrition and, and their babies? What happens? Once they deliver, we know that the placenta is gone. So they actually go back to what we say a normal state. So they're not actually gestational, but they will have that history of gestational diabetes in their medical record. So our goal is to prevent them from becoming type 2 diabetic because statistics show moms with have gestational diabetes have a 50% chance of developing type 2 diabetes later on in life. Mm-hmm. So what I do is once they've delivered, I go visit them in our hospital and we do the, you know, kind of a closeout talk. So I explain to them how to reduce your risk for developing type 2 diabetes. If they want to continue monitoring their glucose, I, I think that's a great thing. You know, they can do that. If they were on medications during their pregnancy, like a metformin or some of them are on insulin, we discuss, you know, is that something that we want to continue if we think that's valuable or do we just continue them on an oral medication after they deliver and they're discharged? Mm-hmm. And then we try to hook them up with a our diabetes prevention program. We have a series of labs that we ask to do. The two-hour glucose test is one of them and then a lipid panel and the thyroid, CBC and a complete metabolic panel. So we can have them do that when they come back at their six-week postpartum. And then after they do that, we have the, the labs uh, turned over to a provider that is for a diabetes prevention program to kind of meet with them and discuss, you know, if this is what we can do to kind of monitor you. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to continue them through even after delivery and later on. So that way we can prevent that type two from showing up. <laughs> oh, okay. Awesome. Well, I don't have any other questions. We kind of sped through that, which is great because I think this is, these are all questions that I had about gestational diabetes myself. I I fortunately haven't had, you know, gestational diabetes, but, you know, type two diabetes has been, you know, a concern in my family. I was diagnosed as a pre-diabetic once or twice before, and I've tried to reverse that, you know, through changing my diet, mm-hmm. physical activity. I guess that's another question. What do you recommend women with gestational diabetes? What kind of physical activity? Um, I know it's the usual, like walking. Is there anything else that they can do? Well, the way I look at physical activity is any activity you can get in throughout the day. So whether it's house house cleaning, you know, washing the dishes, sleeping, you know, sleeping the floor, you know, maybe put your hips into it a little bit more, you know, just finding something that they, uh, something that they enjoy doing. And as their pregnancy progresses, it does become a little bit more challenging to go for walks, to do activity. So we talk about doing chair exercises. So I give them handouts and we kind of go through, you know, what kind of activity they can do. And during their pregnancy, I always encourage them 
to do 15 to 20 minutes of exercise after they eat, because that's actually shown to help lower your glucose considerably. Exercise is better than insulin. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I've been told as well, is to (laughs) go for a walk after I eat a big meal. (laughs) And and some of the moms, which is nice when they bring me their glucose logs and I can kind of see, she's like, oh gosh, you know, I ate a big meal, checked my glucose, it was a little bit high. So I went for a walk and I couldn't believe how much it brought it down. So it shows them the power of exercise. So now they, I tell them, you still have to eat smart and prevent that high glucose. So, you know, maybe initially just start exercising right after you. Mm-hmm. What we talk about is we give them um, stretchy bands so they can kind of work the big muscle groups to help burn more glucose and that as well. Wow, that's great. I wouldn't have thought chair exercises either. So that's, yeah, that's it. We just wanted to know, I guess, I was curious about the process, you know, once a woman, you know, takes the test, the glucose test is diagnosed, what happens after that? What happens when she delivers? You know, what could that turn into? Because I don't know too much about this myself. See, are there any risk factors that could put a woman at risk for gestational diabetes? Yes, there are some risk factors. First of all, you know, if you have family history of type 2 diabetes, that's one. If you've had a previous pregnancy of a baby weighing more than nine pounds, that can actually put you at risk for gestational for the next pregnancy. If you're overweight or obese, unfortunately, race is a big factor. You know, so if you're, of course, Native American, Pacific Islander, Asian, Hispanic, those place you at a higher risk for gestational diabetes. I think that's all the questions that I have, which which is good. I'm glad you <laughs> were able to answer all of them. And I, I, I feel like that's very helpful information to share. And I think the most important thing is that, you know, it's not entirely, you know, it's not the woman's fault that they have gestational diabetes, but also that there, it can be, you know, managed during their pregnancy and, and after. Um, so that's really good to know. I think I would be worried about that as a, as a mother to be, So, all right. Thanks for listening to the MCH podcast. For more information about the Navajo MCH project, please visit us on Facebook at the Navajo Maternal and Child Health Project at Diné College.